Let me ask you a question as we start our message this morning. And by the way, next Sunday I'm going to start another series called Mastering Key Areas in Our Life. So I'm going to pick out some key areas and go to some passages in Scripture, some central passages and deal with them. And the one next week is the importance of church. You know, we're just coming out of a COVID. I'm so tired of that word, but forgive me, I have to say it. And it has shattered people's understanding of the importance of gathering together for worship. And so I'm going to address that issue because corporate worship is something that God doesn't suggest. He commands. And church is essential, by the way, folks. Our spiritual life is the most important thing that we can have. So we're going to talk about the importance of our church life and our faithfulness and our attendance, our involvement, our service, as Jay laid out. All those components are tied in together. So that'll be the catalyst, just to give you some idea. But I want to finish this year, because I don't preach on Christmas again till next December, in one way, but in other ways we preach on it every Sunday. But this week we're going to talk about control. God is the one who controls, by the way. Somehow or another we, though, struggle with control. How many of you struggle with control? Don't raise your hand. But, but don't lie either, because everybody raises their hands. Now, it's interesting, as we, those of us that have children, as they grow older in their life, every parent who's honest realizes that we do have control when they are birthed and born while they're growing up, and we, you better control them, by the way. But then they reach a stage in their life when you have to start letting them go. And at the end of the message today, I'm going to show a 12-minute video that Daniel Altizer and I went over and videoed Jim and Dolores Edmondson. It was about an hour and a half long. It's narrowed down to 12 minutes. But one of the things that Dolores said, and I'm not sure it got in the video, but I want to share it because it goes right with my message. She was talking about children. And my question to her was, Dolores... If you had some wisdom that you would share with parents about raising their children, what would it be? And this is what she said. Prepare to let them go. Prepare to let them go. You've got to let them go. You've got to let the control go and let God take over their life. Now, that doesn't mean you don't get involved in their life. But what she meant was there comes a place in time in all of our lives when we have to let go. And we don't like to lose control, do we? We want it under our thumb. You know, it's amazing, the Christmas story, how God comes out from nowhere and decides to speak to people who had no control. He appears to a little teenage girl in Bethlehem named Mary, who the world would not listen to because, first of all, women had no voice then. Wokeness was not something that you would want to bring up in the Roman world at that time, by the way, or you would be asleep quickly. Women would not be heard, and there's another category of people who would never be heard, and that is a farmer. Farmers would not be heard. And as a matter of fact, when we look at the story in Luke chapter 2, the very first thing that we see, Wes, is my slide coming up? The very first thing we see... In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, is this startling statement. I want to read it to you, and then we'll go down through the passage. Now, while he was serving, I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 1, chapter 2. 
Thank you, bifocals. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Out in the cold, out in the night, there's a farmer. And God not only appeared to a virgin girl nobody would listen to, now he appears to a group of farmers. Now, by the way, shepherds were despised in this day. As a matter of fact, they had very little testimony. They could not even, they wouldn't even let a farmer go into the court and bear testimony. This is how despised they were. But now think of the rationale of God, the wisdom of God. He decides to appear to people that no one wants to listen to. A virgin young girl and now a group of farmers. The first people he explains that he's going to bring the Savior into the world. By the way, what a lesson for us. You know, you and I have some similarities to the farmers. First of all, people think that we're crazy. Second of all, they don't want to hear from us because we are the foolish people who actually believe that God came in flesh to die for our sins. Third of all, an old farmer believes that uh, he has to be dependent upon God because if he's not, he'll never be sustained in life. So as I think about some things to share about lessons from a farm, someone passed this on to me, and I want to share it to you, by the way. It's kind of not too good in English, so if I have any English scholars in here, bear with me. I'm reading the paper. Now listen to the, the advice the farmer gives. He says, Your fences need to be horse-high, pig-tight, and bull strong. In other words, you better have some good boundaries. Keep skunks, bankers, and lawyers at a far distance. Life is simpler when you learn to plow around the stump. There's some things you just don't tackle. Every hill is not a hill to die on. Fourth, a bumblebee is considerably faster than a John Deere tractor. Words that soak into your ears are whispered, never yelled. Mm. Meanness don't just happen overnight. Forgive your enemies because it messes with their heads. Do not corner something that is meaner than you are. Now, by the way, that's some good, that's some good wisdom there. It don't take a very big person to carry a grudge. Listen to this one. You cannot unsay a cruel word. Every path in life has a few puddles. Here's another one. When you wallow with the pigs, expect to get dirty. The best sermons are lived, not preached. Most of the stuff people worry about ain't never going to happen anyway. Mm, uh. Don't judge folks by their relatives. <laughs> Woo. You know, that, that's pretty good farmer's advice, isn't it? I know some kids that have turned out pretty good that had some rascals for parents. But I've known some parents that were really good people that had some kids who were rascals. So take the old farmer's advice. Here's another one. Remember that silence is sometimes the best answer. Live a good life, an honorable life, and when you get older and think back, you'll enjoy it a second time. Wow. Don't interfere with something that ain't bothering you none. 
Timing has a lot to do with the outcome of the rain dance. I had to think about that one for a while. What's he saying? Well, you think about it. If you find yourself in a hole, the first thing you need to stop doing is digging. Mm. Sometimes you get and sometimes you get got. I told you this is farmer language. The biggest troublemaker you'll probably ever have to deal with watches you from the mirror every morning. Always drink upstream from the herd. That's some good practical advice there. Good judgment comes from experience, and a lot of that comes from bad judgment. You're going to make mistakes in life. Don't beat yourself to death over them. Learn from them. Letting the cat out of the bag is a whole lot easier than trying to put him back in. If you get to thinking you're a person of some influence, try ordering somebody else's dog around. That'll humble you, won't it? And then finally, live simply, love generously, care deeply, speak kindly, and leave the rest to God. Boy, that's good advice. Now, for those who maybe are in the business realm and think that you can't learn anything from a farmer, I did a little research this week, dug way back into Forbes magazine, and I read a man whose name, this is not mine, by the way, his name is Jim Blassingame, and he wrote a four-page article in Forbes magazine And this is what he said. Growing up on a farm provided many valuable lessons that have transferred beautifully into my life in the non-farming marketplace. Here are four of those timeless and universal lessons. Number one, the application of patience. In civil society, patience is respected as one of the great virtues. Who hasn't heard the admiration, the patience of Job? But in the marketplace, patience is half of a powerful paradox that because of its alter ego, impatience. Impatience can be a problem, and everybody knows that, but not when it morphs into urgency, because in the marketplace, urgency is not only good, it's essential. Knowing how to transfer impatience into urgency is a lesson we can take from the farmer. Farmers know that being impatient about their payday, that is the harvest, is a fool's errand. It's natural law that a crop can't be cut unless the seeds are in the ground. Plants are nurtured and cultivated, rain and sunshine are applied, and months of time have passed. On the farm, being patient about the harvest saves sanity and lowers blood pressure. But when urgency is properly applied to the process of planting, cultivating, and harvesting, this half of the paradox becomes handy because it saves the farmer's time which, just like the rest of us, saves them money. On the farm, urgency, not impatience, is the profitable alter ego of patience. Number two, excuse me, egg, not what you think. The number two lesson, the China egg. Seeing farm fresh eggs on a breakfast menu takes me back That was a daily reality. But farmers know that hens don't just lay eggs so we can enjoy them at breakfast. Consequently, smart farmers harvest the fresh eggs each day and leave a china egg in the nest, which is sufficient to prevent the hens from abandoning their nests and continuing production. There are china eggs in business too. 
there are the prospects you keep calling on who never buy anything. Since you're smarter than a chicken, don't spend your time and resources sitting on a china egg. That is, here's the test. On the farm and in sales, china eggs never hatch. Deciding to raise, I'm sorry, yeah, so what's the point? Don't waste your time on things that are never going to happen. Get on to something productive. Lesson three, there are ten pigs in a litter. Now listen to this one. Now imagine this, white-collared people are reading this man's article. He says, deciding to raise feeder pigs... A young farmer based his financial projections on two well-known facts. Number one, a sow can give birth to a litter of ten piglets or more. Number two, it's possible for a sow to deliver three litters in one year. Using these two as assumptions, Sean, you're a fine man. Using these two as assumptions, plus the number of sows and the market price of pigs, the farmer eagerly forecasts his potential revenue. You got the picture? A cow has 10 pigs. She has them three times a year. It's 30 pigs. I'm going to guarantee myself I'm going to sell 30 pigs. He says this. The product of this equation gave him the visions of hog heaven. But the young farmer would soon be acquainted with two other facts that are true whether you're operating a hog farm or a regular business. Number one, assumptions are often wrong. And number two, projections are always wrong. Forecasting is an important business planning tool, but the road to bankruptcy is paved with the equity of those who did too much multiplying and not enough discounting. Plan for success, but beware because the folly of forecasting 10 pigs to the litter often fails. And then finally, the fourth piece of advice is the, called half your herd. Now listen closely. Cattle farmers have mostly cows and a couple of bulls. And oftentimes you want to skimp on things that are important. So listen to what this man says. A young cattleman was in the process of buying his first bull. Inspecting the offerings at the auction, the lad struck up a conversation with an elderly gentleman. Got my eye on that one right there. He shouldn't go for too much, the whippersnapper said, trying to tell the old man that he was smarter than he was. In a tone that dripped with wisdom, the old farmer set the lad up. Young man, a good bull is 50% of your herd. To which the greenhorn nodded as if he already knew that, and then the Yoda in overalls dropped the other half of his maxim on the young pup like a nine-pound velvet hammer. He said, but a bad bull is 100% of your herd. Y'all get that? You buy a bad bull and he tries to breed all of your cattle, you get zero. That's how that works, by the way. Now, your small business will always have greater needs than it does resources. The challenge is to effectively and strategically manage those two parameters. If you're in the delivery business, maintain a reliable fleet even if you have to eat bologna. If customers depend on your technology, make sure you have the best available, even if you have to drive an old car. And here's the point. Good tools are 50% of your business, 
bad tools are a hundred percent. And then he writes this, write this on a rock. City folks shouldn't look down their noses at their country cousins. Before there were cities, farmers were learning and sharing many important lessons for life and businesses. Well, this morning we're looking at some things that farmers were sharing from God's Word about the birth of Jesus, and there are lessons that we need to learn about it. But you know, apparently, and perhaps, some of the greatest lessons learned from the farm are not in this article, but listen to this. One man said this, it's not mine. He said, some things are simply out of your control. And that's what the farmer learns, by the way. You know, you go and cut hay, it needs two or three days to cure. You can't control the weather. And by the way, the weatherman can't either. He might project something, but by the way, remember what the man said, projections are almost always wrong. You don't know when it's going to rain. You don't know when it's going to snow. You don't know how long it's going to stay warm or when it's going to get freezing cold because the weather is out of your control. There are other things that we don't know. We don't know how long we're going to live. We don't know when we will be the one who's diagnosed with cancer. We don't know when we are the one who is going to have sickness. And we don't know when we are the one who's going to stand face to face with Jesus that very day. Remember the rich man who had the barn and said, I don't like that little old shack. I've got so much money piled up back here. I'm just going to tear it down and build another one. What did Jesus say to him? He said, you fool. Tonight your soul will be required of you. And then what are you going to do? So pay attention to the present and live for the now. That was the lesson he was saying because some things are simply out of your control. Now we like control. And the shepherds like control, but something happened to them. And what was it? Well, it's the first lesson that we learn, and that is when you can't control your surroundings, God can still use you. When you can't control your surroundings, God can still use you. The lowest class of people in society are the ones that God decided to come to. They never dreamed God would want to use them for anything. But he did, and he appeared. What happened to the shepherds? The angels appeared to them. Look in verse 9, because quite startling here what happens. In the same region, there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, can you imagine this picture out in the middle of of a starry field watching your flocks as they lay there? And all of a sudden... Out of heaven appears an angel of the Lord. What did he look like? Well, we don't know. But this is what he says, his very first words. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find him wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a feed trough. And by the way, that is a literal translation. A feed trough. Now, how many of y'all have ever fed cows on a farm? We've got a few in here that have. A A feed trough is not the nicest thing you've ever imagined. Cows slobber in it. They fight over it. They step in it. And if they turn southbound to a northbound facing manger, well, you can imagine what you'll have to clean out. But our God, in eternity past, decided that he would come into this earth 
humbling himself. Unfathomable. By the way, Christianity is the only religion where God humbles himself. Search far and wide. Search all the religions you want to search. You won't find one where God humbles himself. Christianity is that one. And in eternity past, our God decided that he would humble himself and become a man and be born not in Rome, not in Jerusalem, but he would be born in a little old place called nowhere in Bethlehem. And his birthplace would not be Montgomery Hospital. It wouldn't be Roanoke. It would be in a a cow feeding stall and he would be laid in a manger. And yet, the baby who was laid in the cattle trough would be the Savior of the world. What humility. And who would he appear to to share the message? People who were totally unreliable, who stunk. Nobody wanted to be around them because they smelled like animals and cow manure. They would be the first ones to know that Jesus himself had been born and they were the ones who were to go tell the good news. The ones nobody was supposed to listen to. This is God. Now, by the way, God puts us in places in our life when we have surroundings that we don't understand. Maybe we think we're obscure. God can't use me because I'm this. Nobody looks upon me and I'm just a blah, blah, blah. Well, learn a lesson from a farmer. God can use you right where you are and who you are, and that's exactly how he operates. And don't ever forget Paul's words. God has chosen the foolish things in this world to confound the wise. There are a lot of wise, quote, unquote, people. They have degrees. They have more degrees than a thermometer. But they totally miss the humiliation of Jesus becoming a man to die on the cross for the sins of people. And we are all sinners. And we all have that need. And God appeared to the farmer to tell the story, the greatest story, that Jesus was to be born to save us from our sins. There's a second lesson we learn, and what is that? That is, when you can't control your fears and your doubts, remember that God can. Now notice what happens. These shepherds, when they heard this news, they were scared to death. The text says that great fear came upon them. And the angel says, fear not because I'm bringing you good news. Now, when we think about fear in our life, what is it that we first think about? Well, if you look in verse 10, the angels tell them, we haven't come to uh, give you bad news. We've come to give you good news. Now, can you imagine what this was like? I I want you to just look back at the text, because sometimes we miss this. Behold, he says... I got new glasses, by the way. For those of you who haven't hit that 50 mark yet, let me give you some bad news. Your eyes do strange things. I mean, all of a sudden you're looking and it it just moves. It's gone. And you go and get a new pair of glasses and you look down and where'd it go? I know. And then you finally find it and you hold it down so it doesn't move again. But anyway, there it is. I see it. I'm in verse 13. After he talks about the baby lying in the, in the manger in the feeding trough, and then suddenly 
there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. A multitude of the heavenly host. Now, y'all got the picture here? You're out in the field. One angel appears to the farmer and tells him this good news. And the, the shepherd, out of just absolute belief... There was no doubt here. There was no, well, let me see another sign. I, don't, I haven't learned this in school. Uh, let, let's think about the logic and the four squares of opposition here. Let's see if this makes sense. They didn't do any of that. They believed, and when they believed, a multitude, you all see this, of the heavenly host appeared. Now, heavenly host, these are military terms, by the way. Now, get the picture. Old farmers are standing out in the field. An angel comes and tells them the good news. They believe, and all of a sudden the sky lights up with the army of heaven. Now, there's only a couple of places in Scripture where this happens, and one of them is when Elijah was back, and the Assyrian king was going to come and kill him, and he had no fear of him at all. And his servant said, Master, don't you know who's outside the door? And he said, He who is with us is greater than he who was coming with the Assyrian king. And I'm sure that servant sat there and thought, he has been drinking too much eggnog. Because I saw that army. And the, he said, Lord, open his eyes. And that servant looked up on the top of that hill, and he saw the warrior, angelic host of God lining the entire sky. And you're talking about being bold. Elijah said that, Tell him not to even come knock on my door to turn around and go back. God heard him. Oh, Master, we don't do things like that. That's what you're going to tell him. Now, think about this. Here these farmers are, and now the whole sky lights up with the angelic armies of God. Have you ever seen them? I haven't either. How many are there? Myriads of myriads and thousands and ten thousands times millions. We don't even have a clue how many of the angelic hosts there are. But notice what happens when the farmers believed. The angels did what? Don't say they sang. By the way, this is interesting. Have you ever found one place in the Bible where it says angels sing? When you do, show that to me. Now, I'm not saying they don't. I'm not saying they don't. But don't picture them like Jay Burkett up there. These were military angels who did the, the bidding of God. Now, there may be places, and we can talk about that, but notice what they said. Notice what the text says, too, by the way. The heavenly hosts were praising God and saying, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, stop for a minute. Who was he pleased with? Can you all answer? Well, there was one group of people he was pleased with. It wasn't the scholars down in the University of Jerusalem. It wasn't the PhDs who were up in their ivory tower discussing how they were going to handle wokeness. He was pleased with the old farmer out in the field who took him at his word. And when he did, the heavens lit up and the host of heaven was there, and they witnessed exactly what these old farmers believed. Now, hold on for a minute, because I, I like to think 
And here's what I like to think. Can you imagine the conversation these angels had? By the way, there's another thing you'll never find, and that is there is no redemption for an angel. You go back in the Word of God, you'll find out that there was a time in history where angels fail. When God created, He created them all at one time, and obviously they had a will of some type. Some had to choose to follow God. The others would have to choose to follow the arch enemy of God. We don't know exactly when this happened. Stop trying to guess. You don't know. I don't. And nobody else does. We have some good fill in the gaps. But this is information we don't know everything about. But some angels chose not to follow God. And some chose to rebel. And some did other things. And Jude and Second Peter talk about some of these demonic fallen angels being held in a place called Tartarus, a holding place until the great white throne judgment. But now you have this interesting dialogue. These angels are sitting there watching these human beings, especially the farmers, saying, oh my, they took God at his word. God himself became a man, and now he's being born, and we have the message to share with the farmer. They believed him. Can you believe what's going on here? Look at these farmers. They're taking God at his word. He didn't come to die for us or those of us who disobeyed God. He came to die for mankind. And the simplest, lowliest people on earth, the most rejected and despised, the farmer, took God at his word. The marveling of the angels... You know, it's interesting when you study this. Angels are present with us today, by the way. Did you know that? And the text says, if you look in places in the New Testament, that they watch us. Now, there are guardian angels, and I don't want to get off on this. Maybe we'll do a whole sermon series on it. But there are angels who watch us, but they are amazed at our actions of belief and obedience, and I'm sure they're amazed at our actions of disobedience. wonder how many have had to intervene in our life to save us during times that we were foolish. You ever thought about that? I mean, I don't want to get all superstitious here, but I am supernatural. There is no doubt in my life that God spared me many times in my foolish days when I should have died. I could tell you story after story. I should have died. One time, I went somewhere that my parents told me I shouldn't have on a four-wheeler. I was a kid. I mean, we, we would ride miles and miles from home. Went somewhere on a four-wheeler and went up a hill that I knew I shouldn't have went on. And when I was a young man, that four-wheeler dug in and flipped backward on me, and the handlebar turned sideways and caught me right there under the windpipe, long way from home and stabbed into my neck. I thought my neck was broken. I thought my windpipe was collapsed. I shouldn't be talking this morning. I shouldn't even be here this morning. And I still have the scar right there, all the way down my neck. I didn't know what was going to be worse, a broken neck or the beating I got from my dad for doing what he told me not to do. I was spared. Do you realize that much further over, I would have been a dead young man? That far. I, I can tell you other instances. What, what in the world saved that? You say, well, it was just chance. It's just a good, well, okay, whatever you want to believe. But I know, I know I have been spared many times I didn't deserve. 
hear this angelic host, look, what is my point? My point is sometimes when you can't control your fears and doubts in life, and we do have plenty, remember that God can. And these shepherds didn't know what they would do with their fear. Who would believe them? How were they going to be able to tell? Well, God could handle that. So what did the shepherds do? Let's look down at the text. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, what did they say? Let's sit here and have a dialogue about this. Well, we should run this by Dr. Such and Such and see what he... No. They said, oh my gracious, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. God told us something. Let's go. I want to see it. Look in verse 16. And they went with haste. I love that. Boy, we read that fast, don't they? You ever seen a farmer get in a hurry? Let me tell you something. You don't see that much. Well, farmer don't get in a hurry. He knows that when you get in a hurry, you get in trouble. You start slapping things together. You start running. I mean, he's smarter than that. He takes his time. He moves slow and steady. But he just plods right on. These farmers pulled up their overhauls and they started running. They went with haste and guess what they found? Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a feed trough. Simple faith, simple obedience. They believed what God told them. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They didn't just keep it to themselves. What did they say? We don't care if anybody believes us or not. We don't care if we're not credible to go in a court and testify or not. We don't care if anybody makes us expert witnesses or not. We're going to tell what we know. And what we know is this. God has spoken and it was true. Now I'm going to tell you something, folks. If, if a lot of Christians would learn this lesson we would transform our world. We think we have to know every answer to every doctrine in the Bible and every answer to everything on every page of the Scripture. Come up here real close. Nobody knows that. Let me tell you what you and I need to know. What has Jesus done in my life that's changed me in such a way that I treat my wife different after I trusted Him as my Savior? What has Jesus done in my life that causes me to treat my children different than I was before I was a believer? What has He done in my life to help me when I go to work to work for my employer as if I'm working for God Himself because that's who I'm working for? Not, I'm not working for man. I don't do things just eye service to please men. I do things knowing that I'm working for God. And my testimony is about Him. And if we as believers start living like that and then sharing what happened in our own life, I'm not saying everybody's going to get saved and I'm not ever going to say that anybody will. That's not the point. The point is the truth about God will be known. And they went out and they told everything concerning the child. Notice what verse 18 says, And all who heard it wondered, wondered, marveled, could not believe what the shepherds told them. Can you imagine? A bunch of old farmers coming around the feed trough saying, let me tell you something. You see that child right there? Let me tell you what happened to us. We were out watching our herd sleep. 
And an angel came and told us that that is Jesus, God himself, who came to save us from our sin. And we were wondering, and then all of a sudden the sky lit up from one side to the other with the army of heaven. As if to bear witness and said, that is exactly right. You go and you see it and you share it. And those farmers went there and told that story. And let me tell you what happened. Look what happened. They wandered. They went, my gracious God, God came to a bunch of farmers? Is that the Christ child? Now, by the way, if you don't think people believe them, you should travel to King Herod's palace because people were texting him and saying, God is here in a manger. What did Herod say? I'll tell you what, time to get concerned. Time to get concerned. Two years goes by and he says, kill every boy in the area. Go kill every baby. Because whatever they said about him had to be true. Too many things are happening. People listen to the farmer. But notice what verse 19 says, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She says, You know what? He appeared to me in Galilee, down in Nazareth. He told me I was going to be carrying a baby. I would have never believed that. He told Uncle Zechariah that he was going to have a forerunner for my child. Zechariah didn't believe that. And guess what happened? He couldn't speak or hear for the whole time of the pregnancy until he went to change his name. And now he appeared to a bunch of farmers out in the field and told them that this is the God child. She was overwhelmed. Mary treasured these things up in her heart, pondering them. And the shepherds returned. What did they do? Notice this. Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Simple faith, simple obedience in the message given to them by God. And that's our third lesson, by the way. When you think you have full control over expectations, God might have other plans. The farmers probably never believed that anybody would ever tell them or ever believe them. Guess what? God had other plans. But sometimes in our life, the reverse happens. We think life is going to be this way, and guess what happens? God steps in, and things don't go our way. By the way, folks, these are some powerful lessons we learn in life. They're hard. They're tough. You and I do not have any clue what tomorrow may bring, but we do know who holds tomorrow, don't we? We don't have any idea. And we think we have full control over our expectations. I mean, we expect life is supposed to look like this, but it may not. It may not. And when it doesn't, we have to see God as the one who orchestrates the plans. You'll never have every question answered in this life. Just stop. I always think about Mark Bryant who had all the children die in that gas explosion up north over a holiday season. And Mark Bryant at his funeral, who's now with Jesus, said this statement. One question we will never ask is this. Why? We just won't ask it. As a family, we've sat down and we say, we will not ask why. Because we'll never have the answer. We'll wait on God. What a lesson for us. What a lesson. Here's some truth to take home with you today. 
If God can use a baby to save humanity, he can handle your surroundings, your fears and doubts, and he can handle your broken expectations. Learn a lesson from a farmer. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, let me just share this. Humble yourself like a farmer and realize that you are separated from God because of sin. But God, out of His great grace and love, gave us Jesus. God in flesh to come and be laid in a feed trough. To grow as a sinless man, to die on a cross. To take our sin and exchange our sin for His righteousness so that we could stand before Him. Just like Jesus. And you have to believe that. You have to believe that His death, burial, and resurrection made that payment for your sin and gives you the righteousness you could never earn. And when you believe the gospel, eternal life comes to live inside of you. What a wonderful, wonderful message. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. Right where you are, you can trust Christ right there by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that your death on the cross was the payment for my sin. And I trust that. I believe that. That you will take away my sin and give me your righteousness. He wants to save you today. I hope you'll let him. Father, thank you for Jesus and thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, that you do appear to the humble and make your will known. Thank you for the lesson of these farmers in our lives. May we learn from them because there's great wisdom that you teach us through what the world calls the simple. And we realize that the gospel is the simple message, but yet how profound, that no scholar can wrap his mind around God humbling himself, becoming a man and dying in our place. We give you praise for that today, and we thank you for what you have done, are doing, and what you will do in our life. Because Christmas lives in us, forever. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.